we open God's Word, um, for those of you who are wondering, what time is it? She's up here a little early. Um, or if you're just logistically minded, um, this morning we are celebrating communion. And so we want our children and worship kids um, to stay with us to experience communion. Um, but we also moved up the sermon a little bit in the service so they have time uh, to work on some of the music they're working on for the Christmas program. So we can not only support them by being flexible, but also by showing up for the Christmas program and hearing what they're working so hard to bring to us. So I will later in the service bless the children from up here, and then they will be dismissed, but that will happen after communion. So I, I, it, might not be, it might not be ready for us to get thinking, but we're going to do it together right now. <clears throat> As we prepare to receive God's word, let's pray. Gracious God, sometimes we see your hand in little events, and sometimes we see it in the broad sweep of history. God, would you stir our hearts that we might be people of hope, Help us seek you in your word, and keep us from growing weary as we wait, that we may not miss the glory of your appearing. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, today is the first Sunday in the season of Advent, which means in a few short weeks, we will gather again to celebrate Christmas. Advent is my favorite season in the church calendar. Advent launches us into the Christian year, so we're at the beginning of the Christian year right now, beginning with anticipating Jesus' birth. Ultimately, we celebrate the coming of Christ, and we end with a season of obedience and discipleship following Easter. Advent marks a very specific type of waiting. It's an in-between sort of waiting. Advent symbolizes the present situation of the church as we wait for Christ to come again. The church today is waiting and hoping in prayerful expectation for the coming of the Messiah. Israel looked back to God's gracious action in the past when they were led out of Egypt in Exodus, and on that same basis, they called out to God to act for them again, and in the same way, we, the church, during Advent, look back upon Christ's coming in celebration, while at the same time looking forward to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns again. I really love that about Advent. But mostly, I love this season because in the bringing together of the divine and of the finite, of God himself, and of human form, we know with absolute certainty that God loves people, that God loves created stuff so much. He put it on. God loved us in the creation enough to save us, and God loved us even more than that. As Max Lucado said, he endured our sunburns, he endured our pulled muscles and our coughs. God loved us so much and so significantly that he would come that close, as close as breath, as real as the pulse in your wrist or the cry of a baby boy. It amazes me every year during Advent that we serve a God 
who came into the world the same way that we did and lived just like we do. One of my Bible teachers in high school, Aaron had him as well, used to say that God, in the form of Jesus, tabernacled among us. So Advent is our annual reminder to faithfully do what Jesus said because God so loved the world. As we transition out of our Half-Truths sermon series, I'm curious about the whole truth of Advent, about the way of love described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 that we see modeled in the incarnate Christ. This morning's Advent text is from Matthew 24, 36 through 44. And as we read it, I want you to remember with me Paul's words, which Allison already read for us. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, love. Even though words pass away, faith, hope, and love abide. Let's listen especially for faith in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this passage, Jesus is responding to a question. Oftentimes, Jesus is responding to our questions. This one posed by the disciples in Matthew 24, verse 3. Tell us, the disciples said, when will this happen, the destruction of the temple? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In Matthew 24, Jesus warns that many will claim to be the Messiah, that nation will rise against nation, even family against family. Famines and earthquakes will devastate the land like birth pains, and if they're birth pains, that's just the beginning. The people will be persecuted, and many strange things will happen. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. Stars will fall from the sky, and the Son of Man will come on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. But when will the coming of the age take place? Nobody knows. So what are the people doing in the meantime? The disciples wonder. Jesus says they are eating, they are drinking, they're marrying, marrying, 
and they're being given in marriage. They're working in the field and they're grinding with a hand mill. They're going about their daily lives as they wait. Perhaps they are oblivious to the presence of God in this age as they compartmentalize the ins and outs of their day. As the people in Noah's time knew nothing of the impending flood, so we know nothing about the Son of Man's coming. Mark's gospel puts it this way in Mark 13, verses 32 through 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned tasks, and tells the one at the door, keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. As we engage this Advent text, I want to name that passages like this make me feel a little bit unsettled. When I consider what it might be like to be working in the field and taken without warning, or eating and suddenly swept away by a flood, I find myself feeling a little disturbed. I don't want faith to look like sleepless nights pacing around my house, distracted by every sound I don't recognize, constantly aggravated by the thought of the imminent thief. That sounds a bit exhausting and unpredictable, alarming, which are three adjectives I do not find particularly motivating. I notice, though, that Jesus' instruction to the disciples is not to sit at home and twiddle their thumbs, and expect to be abducted or swept away by a flood or robbed. In verse 42, Jesus tells them to keep watch. And again, in verse 44, to be ready. And while he does not give explicit direction here about what watching and being ready looks like, we know from the rest of Matthew's Gospels that keeping watch means making disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, because Emmanuel, God is with us. Keeping watch looks like repenting. Keeping watch looks like being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It means loving your neighbor, leaning in to giving, as we just did, and prayer and fasting. Keeping watch means holding up our worries with great care, it means asking and seeking and knocking after God and resisting judgment as we scatter seeds for God to sow. Keeping watch means recognizing that the future does not belong to us. It belongs to the Son of Man, and he's coming. In verse 37, the Son of Man is coming. In verse 39, the Son of Man is coming. In verse 44, the Son of Man is coming. Keeping watch means keeping our faith in the Son of Man because he is coming. And the psalmist testifies to his goodness in Psalm 85. 
Psalm 85 says this, Surely his salvation is near, those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him. Righteousness and prepares the way for his steps. We do not know when or how, but the Son of Man is coming. Five times over, we learn in this passage from Matthew that no one, not even the Son, knows the timing of the coming, but it is not the timing that is meant to guide us. It's the certainty of the coming itself that changes us forever. I believe the jarring examples Jesus uses in this passage, like the flood, the disappearance of the man and woman while they're working, the owner being robbed, and several others in the surrounding chapters called the Olivet Discourse, these examples are not meant to scare us, but they serve as stark metaphors highlighting what our reaction should be to the second coming. Consider the homeowner Jesus talks about in this passage. I have never personally experienced home robbery, but I know from the stories of others and some of you that it is incredibly violating. If that has happened to you, perhaps you are now more diligent in locking your doors or closing your windows. Perhaps you now have a dog to warn off intruders or security cameras to scare people away. Perhaps you keep valuables out of sight or locked away in a safe. And of course you do these things, because this changed you. And if you knew this was going to happen to you, you would have taken every precaution in the first place. I've not experienced home robbery. I have lost my wallet twice. My, yes, my social media accounts have been hacked. My mail was stolen. And I was able to remedy these experiences easily um, by canceling credit cards and putting stronger uh, passwords on my accounts and asking our previous landlord to put locks on the mailboxes. But they all served as an important lesson to me. Be ready. Learn from this. Consider other important moments in our lives that change us in the way that we show up forever. Perhaps a difficult diagnosis or a cure. The death of a loved one or a positive pregnancy test getting fired, earning a promotion, being rejected, being accepted. What these moments have in common is this. There's the before and there's the after. That's what they all have in common. The before that moment and the after that moment. When that moment happens, you cannot go back to the way things were or to who you were before. They are unexpected and they are life-altering. They make us different. Jesus' first coming over 2,000 years ago is that clarifying moment for all of creation. There's the before and then there's the after. It's the aha that completely shifts the trajectory 
of the rest of our lives, of creation's life. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have become what 1 Thessalonians calls children of light. I want to read that passage to you from 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. So this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Since we belong to the day, let us put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. Jesus' first advent completely impacts all of who we are because through his life, death, and resurrection, we now know some of what to expect and how to prepare for his coming again. We do not need to be surprised like the homeowner because we have faith. Faith that we do not belong to darkness but to light. Faith that God has indeed saved us and will save us. Faith that our Emmanuel God is both near and coming. Faith that God is coming with mercy, holiness, and love, and that that same mercy, holiness, and love is ours now. Faith that the Son of Man is coming again. What a joy it is to remember that as we enter in to Advent together. Would you pray with me?